really spoil the ambiance if uh, Robert Redford was called out on, on a Pitchcock violation. <laughs> And welcome to a brand new episode, a very special episode of Battery Mates. Uh, I am Toby in Chicago, and with me, as always, from merry old England land, or England, as some people call it, um, is uh, Matthew McGregor. Are you- uh, Manchester, England. Um, uh, Joe Biden is about to land in the United Kingdom as well, so um, a very big welcome to to Joe and all of the staff with him who are probably more interested in this podcast than he is. Uh, but it's great. It's great to have him here. And is that they're doing the coronation early then? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Joe Biden's not coming to the coronation. This caused some controversy, but Jill Biden's coming. And I think she's the more important of the two. Certainly. Dr. Biden, of course, that's the more. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Biden. Um, and this reason why this is a special episode of battery rates. Well, one, we're in the regular season. And it's our 150th episode of this program somehow. I don't know how. Um, it's possible that I just miscounted uh, and we're in like at 72. Um, but uh, by my records, we're at 150. Uh, also special because we have a guest for the first time uh, in many months. Um, uh, Noah Gattel, you are joining us from Connecticut. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, your Twitter bio, descri- and this is the extent of our research here. Our Twitter bio <laughs> describes you as a film critic, uh, occasional sports writer. Uh, you've written for The Ringer, Slate, New York Times, The Guardian, BBC, I'm sure more. Um, and you're also uh, writing a book about baseball movies, which we will definitely get to later on in the program. Um, and what I've learned about you is the other things I've learned about you, I will list right now. One, you uh, are a Mets fan. True. It's important information. Two, uh, you have a lot to say about uh, the the new pitch clock, which I'm, I'm oh, eager to hear about. Um, so many thoughts. We, we, we will get there. Teaser. Um, and you happen to know three of the people who uh, entered uh, the Battery Mates predict- preseason prediction contest uh, independently of our show. You know, you know them independently uh, through it's- other... That's right. I had a, I have a small, short background in politics, so we have run in the same circles uh, briefly. So I know uh, Peter Bondi. I know um, Dave Duberstein, who is the story for another time, but partially responsible for my controversial exit from our fantasy baseball league uh, last year. Uh, and uh, I know James Lynch, who I believe is the one who recommended me uh, to you. That, yeah, that is a- that is a that is a great that is a great lineup of people. Those are uh, two of our three favorite uh, Battery Mates listeners. Um, Peter Bundy was the first <laughs> ever guest on Battery Mates, so you're in you're in uh, uh, illustrious company. Wait, a high percentage of Mets fans, I suppose, as guests on the show. <laughs> yeah, it used to be. A, did you? I don't know if you caught, but uh, Duberstein actually, I believe, entered as a Rocky a Rockies fan. A quote I I, um, I was very surprised to hear that. Yeah. I think he's trying something out. Uh, well, now I've got something on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the, what this all is happening because Noah, you tweeted on uh, I think right after the uh, opening during the opening series 
last weekend. Please, for the love of God, someone have me on their baseball podcast to speak out against the pitch clock. I am mm. bursting. And then James, James Lynch put, put us in touch. Um, so before we get there, we do this with all of our guests. Um, we have a quick, quick fire round um, of just asking some quick, quick baseball questions um, or related to your baseball fanhood. Uh, just to get, get everybody a sense of who you are uh, and and what kind of uh, where, where you're coming from. Uh, are you ready for our rapid fire questioning? I think so. <laughs> we'll Matthew, see. Matthew, you want to go first? Yeah, just to date you, who is your first favorite player? It was probably Gary Carter, catcher for the New York Mets in 1986, which was the first year I was baseball conscious. And what a year to be baseball conscious for the first time as a Mets fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tough. That's every so year, tough. So, every year since has been a disappointment, but that first year was great. <laughs> you know, eerily mirroring my my experience, my favorite player growing up was Joe Carter, and my first year was uh, we lost a hundred games. Um, so <laughs> great, very similar. Um, who is your current favorite player? If you had to pick one, I'm sorry to be boring, but it's probably Pete Alonso. I mean, I'm not really the guy who usually is the fan of the big slugger, but. I love I love watching him hit not just home runs. I think he's got a great swing. I love watching him just kind of muscle little uh, fly balls out to a right field that happen to uh, drop in. He's so strong and he has a nice swing. I, I will say the other player on the Mets who I really love watching play is Luis Guillorme, who is our uh, sort of utility infielder. He's a stout little fellow. But he is so graceful out on the field. He plays second. He plays short. He plays third. When he's out there with Lindor, they make this killer double play combination, really beautiful defense. And uh, he doesn't get a lot of attention to me. He should have been a shoe in for the utility gold glove last year. And I hope that he will win it soon because he's he's truly the best defender on the Mets since Ray Ordonez. So he's that good. Pete Alonso might may get a mention on the uh, pitch clock uh, section later on, oh, given that yes. <laughs> a unique case. <laughs> so uh, Ghost Runner, yes or no? Oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. <laughs> I didn't even think we were going to get into that rule change, but that that might be my least favorite out of all of them. I hate it. This is a quick fire section. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we knew we had to cut some some of the, the hot takes <laughs> in this very quick section. Um, have you ever caught a foul ball at a game? Not in a major league game, but I go see the Hartford Yard Goats from time to time, and it's much easier to catch a foul ball at a minor league game. In fact, the last time I went, I inadvertently took one that was uh, we moved down to the front row in the seventh inning. And there was a, a man and his small child a few seats away from us who'd been waiting the whole game for a foul ball. And uh, we moved down. And the second we moved down to the front row, a foul ball came and I grabbed it and I basically stole it out of this child's <laughs> mitt. <laughs> and I felt really terrible, but I was with a child as well, a, a friend of mine's kid, and I gave it to him instead because th that was a child I knew instead of a random child. But they gave me the dirtiest look. <laughs> now, that has we've we've talked a lot about foul balls and giving them to kids. We've never <clears throat> had the discussion about when there's a choice of kids. That's a that's a that's a new one for us to cover in a in a future segment. Um, last question. How many chairs do you think you broke in your angry fan days? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say six or seven. Okay. I can't that remember. You... It feels like a lot. 
That puts you near the top of the leaderboard, I think. <laughs> yeah, for those those not for those listening who haven't read uh, your piece on on your your chair breaking days, um, do you want to give us a quick? I know this is the rapid fire mm-hmm. section, but sure. I feel like that needs some some color on that that. Uh, that sure. Day. I wrote a piece for my Substack, which is called uh, Good Eye. It's about uh, baseball and movies, and this was sort of about my evolution as a fan and my my anger uh, as a Mets fan which I really have had, my anger is, is related to my baseball fandom. It's sort of, my my fandom is the vessel for my anger, but it's, it doesn't stem from the Mets, I don't think. It's a whole other podcast. But when I was 19, I was living at home and I was living with my mom, single mom. And I would get so upset when the Mets lost that I think she was like genuinely, genuinely afraid of my anger. You know, she's a small woman, I'm a man. And I was stomping around the house like, filled with rage. So she would give me these old chairs from our kitchen that we didn't use anymore, but but she had them still. And she'd say, go take them out to the deck and beat the shit out of them with a baseball bat if you need to get your rage at out. So that's what I did. And my God, it felt really, really good. Uh, but it did not um, let me address the underlying issues, which took me many, many more years to sort of figure out. And it's it's all in the piece if anybody wants to read it. It's it's great. And it, like I was, uh, I think before we started recording, I said it, it resonates with me, um, you know, having recognized way too late in life that baseball was and still does sometimes dramatically affect my mood in a way that's not productive. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever beaten the shit out of a chair, um, but uh, I will keep that on the list of things to explore. Uh, Put it on your bucket time. list. Do it yeah. one time. It really it really does feel good. I think the chair would win a fight with me. I think that's my concern. Um, <laughs> uh, should we go around the horn on some what's going on in baseball and get to the topic at hand? I think here. Yeah, it's, it's time for the it's time for the headline act. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we all know that baseball has some new rules in place this year, and I, I went to uh, the the Cleveland home opener on Friday. And they they did a whole thing in on the scoreboard between innings about like walking through the new rules, which is I thought uh, helpful um, for those who weren't who don't follow it as closely as I do. Uh, so we got you know they got the pitch clock, you got bigger bases, you got pickoff limits, shift bands. I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting something uh, here, uh, but we're a week and a half in, uh, and the, the, here are the effects. I'm just going to lay out what I think this would be Major League Baseball's um, argument for these rule changes. Uh, batting average is up 16 points over the first 11 days of the season compared to the first 11 days of last season. Uh, we're almost at a, a whopping 250. We're at 249 batting average uh, over uh, 233 from last year. Stolen, stolen bases are up just a bit, 1.3 per game. Uh, but the success rate is uh, up to almost 80%. It was 74% last year. Um, and the big one, the time of the game is down 31 minutes. The average game is two hours and 38 minutes long um, versus three three hours and nine minutes long from, from last season. Um, and that's partly or it, maybe entirely due to the pitch clock. Um, and the pitch clock violations have been 125. 87 have been on pitchers uh, in 141 games. So almost uh, less than one per game. Um but yeah, how do we feel about these? And we're going to let Noah, you kick us off on, you could start with the pitch clock and talk about any of the rule changes you'd like, but you know, 11 days in, how do you feel? Okay. First of all, I don't hate all of these rule changes. Uh, I am okay with the larger bases. Uh, <laughs> I, I like encouraging stealing. 
I think that's a very good thing. And I like I like that stolen bases are up. And I will say this. I don't hate the pitch clock 11 days in as much as I thought I was going to hate it. I will be honest about that. Um, when I hate the pitch clock the most is when pitchers uh, throw the ball when uh, they make their pitch when there's 10 seconds left. With that pace, when they're throwing it that fast, that little time in between pitches, I do not like the pace of the game. It feels like the pace of a video game to me. It feels like the pace of MLB The Show, where you get the ball back and you pick your pitch and you immediately throw. And it's just, it's too fast for me at an aesthetic level. I don't think it allows the game to breathe. I think baseball is a game in which you want to contemplate things in between pitches. I don't know if it's even about letting the drama build, because I don't know how much drama there is on a, you know, oh one pitch in the third inning of a game. But I like to contemplate what's going on. I like to look at the grass. I like to look at the dirt. I like to look at the sky. I like to think about uh, going to games as a kid with my grandfather. I like to look around and soak up the atmosphere. To me, baseball is a game of charm and atmosphere. It is not a game of intensity. And they're trying to turn it into a game of intensity with with not just this change, but with all the change that they've made this year. And to me, that is just not the baseball that I love. And I'll tell you this, beyond hating the actual pitch clock, what I really hate are seeing the arguments people are making for the pitch clock. People saying things like, it's the same amount of baseball, it just cuts out the dead time. That makes me feel like I love a completely different game than those people, because I, to me, it's not that's not dead time. To me, the time in between the pitches is is almost as important to the charm of the game than the actual plays. And people will when I say that will respond and say things like, oh, a guy grabbing his balls is is important to baseball or guys spitting is important to baseball. And I say, yes, when I was a yeah. kid. I would imitate the guys grabbing their balls. I would imitate the guys spitting. Like that was fun for me. And I think it's fun for a lot of kids out there. And I think if you turn it into a game, you know, in which the the players are only allowed to do uh, incredible superhuman things all the time, and there's no humanity and space in the game, I think we're losing something really important. And I will leave it at that. Grab, grabbing his balls was a huge part of Juan Soto's appeal uh, during 2019, and he helped us to a a, a world championship. So, <clears throat> I'm I'm with you on that one. It's interesting that you know I first got into baseball uh, 2008 when the Nationals were terrible, and I knew nothing about the game whatsoever. I just happened to be working in DC, and I remember saying to someone, I had no idea what was happening in the game. I just loved the vista, the 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 the, the being there without even knowing what was happening baseball is everything i love about cricket and everything i love about america and so there's a lot there's a lot in what you say that um i think that we need to be careful not to lose however from two weeks two short weeks in and the the stats are nonsense i mean there's there's not nearly enough uh, uh, uh baseball happened yet to say this is increasing the batting average or, or whatever else it is um but but two weeks in we're cutting out the silliness like a lot of silliness has grown into the game over the last 10 years and i just feel like if if you can have the the clock there to to cut out the nonsense but then the umpires are allowed to be a little loosey-goosey with exactly you know, there was a there was a um manny machado was called out on strikes for 
uh, not calling timeout at nine seconds instead of eight seconds. And it was like half a second difference between, you can see his hands start to go up <laughs> to call timeout as, as the clock turns from, from nine to eight. And it's just like, yeah, we, that, no, that's not, that's not baseball. But, you know, if we can find the equilibrium, I think, I think it's a good development. See, I'll just say, I think we could do that without the clock. I think if they enforce the rule on the books, which is the batter's not allowed to leave the batter's box, like that's a that's a rule on the books. They could just enforce that. They could let the pitchers call their own pitches through the pitch com. I love watching the catcher drop down two fingers, but I'd be willing to lose that. I would make a compromise and say, let's have the pitchers just call the pitches themselves. I bet we we take five minutes off the game just through that alone, maybe more. So I just, I don't know. I, I feel like there are things they could have done without resorting to, to me, what is a pretty drastic change in the feel of the game. I mean, it's, it's if 31 minutes is really drastic, I mean, that's a sixth of the game. Um, 1981. Fifth, fifth, yeah. nine, 1981 is the last time games were this short. So we're not going back to the games of when you and I were a kid, Toby. We're actually going yeah. back like a little before that. Yeah, it, it does feel really fast. And I, I will say my... My opinion on this, I agree that I've expected to hate this uh, a lot more than I think I am. But but part of this is uh, get back to me in two or three weeks when we play a full schedule in, on the East Coast or on, the, on East, Eastern time. Because my team started with a West Coast series and the game started at nine o'clock local and I was in bed by 1130. That was great. Beautiful. <laughs> but um, and my team has played four extra innings game, extra innings games in, in 11 games, which is insane. Um, so. I appreciate some of the cutting cutting down on um, the length of the games, but um, I will say there are times when, especially going to a game and you're having a conversation with someone where you miss pitches. You, I mean, I just by like turning, you know, the, the game moves really quickly right now. And I think it's maybe over torqued um, this like 15 seconds is too short. Um, especially as no, as you were saying, like, Pitchers aren't waiting the full 15 seconds. Sometimes yeah. they're going after six, after seven. Um, and so, and, and, when, that can and be when they do advantage. go, when they do yeah. go at three or two seconds, to me, that feels like a fairly normal pace. Like that doesn't, that doesn't bother me too much, but, but some guys don't. And, and going to 10 seconds is just, it's, it's just a different game to me. What do people think of the, while we're on this, have you seen in any games the, where the fans start counting down uh, to try to rattle the pitcher? Have you guys uh. seen this? No, no, I, I, no uh, I don't okay. Like it happened. That. It happened in my to my team. That's in the, not cool. In the first game of the year, uh, no. uh, in Seattle, and Seattle fans are so nice. They were actually <laughs> counting down the right time. They were like, they were trying to mess with his head. Oh, they were, but they weren't. They were doing it with like, we're going to tell you what the clock says: five, four. And what what happened uh, later on? I think we were in Oakland. They were started counting down random to like it, starting at different intervals. You know, the seventeenth people who show up at Oakland games, they were able to coordinate because there's only 17 of them. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was alarming to see. Actually, actually counting down the time is actually only one step up from doing the wave. <laughs> counting, <laughs> counting down the wrong time to try and get in the pitcher's head. That is a, a, a top move. That is yeah. good banter. That is good banter. <laughs> uh i think we'll, we'll keep an eye on this i mean i i, I think uh any any opinion on um the shift bands or are the or the, the pickoff limitations i like the shift band to be honest with you um i i hoped it wouldn't be necessary i hoped that hitters would correct 
uh, and start laying down bunts whenever there was an overshift, but they just don't do it. And right. there, I think, I think a change had to be made to, uh, to keep the game exciting. And I was okay with that one. The, the thing for me about a lot of these rule changes, <clears throat> the pitch, pitch clock in particular, but others as well, is leave aside the rights and wrongs for the game. It has provided a huge amount of good content. And in, in a way, I was thinking, I was watching some highlights earlier, and in a way, the, 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 the review change that happened with uh, going to New York and getting that right on video replays, basically, on paper, is the right thing to have done. But it has removed a huge amount of good content from the game in terms of tremendously exciting arguments between managers and, and umpires and so on. And that that content has now been replaced by arguments over the exact time of the pitch clock and uh, Alonso is he back on first base and so on and so forth. So you know there's a, there's a debate to be had about the rights and wrongs for the game, and then there's a debate to be had about content. And I think we've got lots of new great fun content this season, and you can't argue with that. Well, and frankly, people who hate the pitch clock, I mean, I don't know if MLB cares that much because they're out there talking about it all the time. And I think uh, part of me thinks that's part of the goal of all these changes. They're making new rule changes every year. And every year we're sitting here arguing about it on Twitter and on podcasts. And I think MLB is just fine with that. Got to feed the content beasts. (laughs) Um, I'm, I, before we move on, I missed the Alonzo. What happened with Pete Alonzo in the pitch clock? I missed this. May I, Matthew? Uh, Pete Alonzo was running on a pitch that I believe was a foul ball. He was running from first and he, once he saw it was a foul ball, began walking back to first base and the home plate umpire decided he took too long to get back to first base and called an automatic strike on the hitter, Jeff McNeil. And then I believe the next day he admitted he was wrong and that was an incorrect interpretation of the rule but it was too late good thing mcneil got a base hit and it was rendered moot because otherwise mets fans would still be complaining about that for sure (laughs) (laughs) that is bizarre i I did not see that wow was that early on in the season i think it was the second game oh my god yeah (laughs) that's nuts um all right so it's time for way too early takes on our teams um Noah, as our guest, as a Mets fan, um, I believe the Mets are, what, six and five now? Is that right? Correct. Uh, a, a game out of first. I believe that's, that's still accurate mm-hmm. uh, as of recording time. So what's your, you know, 30-second, uh, 60-second take on uh, the season so far? Well, if you asked me yesterday, I would have a very different take than I have today. Because okay. last night, the Mets had a, a rematch of game one of the Wild Card Series last year, Scherzer versus you Darvish. And... Uh, and you Darvish, the Mets had never beaten him, I believe. And Scherzer had two very shaky opening uh, starts of, to the year. So it was looking like a disaster. And yet the Mets pulled out a decisive, I believe, five to nothing victory. And it really changed my whole mood because I think the Mets have some real serious issues, to be honest with you. They have age and health is a big issue for their team already. And I think with the havoc, the pitch clock is wreaking on some of the older pitchers. I think it could be an issue. Uh, I think the lack of power in their lineup is a genuine problem that reared its ugly head last year and could do so again this year, unless some of these young guys get called up and start start raking. Um, but they're still a good offense and they're still a good team. And when they come out and 
smash the Padres like they did last night, uh, I, I'm feeling pretty good today. So right now, I think things are headed down in the right direction. Um, you know, if they get smoked tonight, I'll probably say the opposite. <laughs> it's always good to have that teeter on the edge of <laughs> whatever That's happens what, tonight. I'm trying not to, but I just I can't I can't help it. Matthew, uh, the the Nats. They're um, I have this in the notes that their 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 record is redacted, but they're four and seven. That's not as <laughs> that could be a lot worse. <laughs> it could have been. It could have been a lot worse. Honestly, with the Mets payroll, six and five feels like a very disappointing start to the season. Nationals were one and six uh, at the weekend after a long homestand that went as we expected it would go, and <laughs> they've they went to the Rockies and. Um, won the series and they won the opener against the Angels and everyone's kind of like what the fuck is going on this is uh, you know to be um, to be where they are is very very weird um, and I, I don't know if this is something uh, I mean we're, we're going to lo- we're, we're going to have a losing season and we're going to uh, uh, you know lose uh, at least 90 games but uh, the season is all about the young guys coming through and, you know, very small sample size, but they're coming through and everyone's a bit confused and a bit concerned. And uh, we're doing it with the starting pitching doing pretty badly. Um, and uh, uh, but even there, Mackenzie Gore, who was the big get from the Soto trade, um, is 2-0. Uh, even Patrick Corbin has won a game. <laughs> which has thrown everyone out uh, very, 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 very severely. Uh, I, I'm kind of struggling a little bit because uh, of the games that we've played so far, I've only been able to watch one. All the rest of them have been, you know, in the middle of the night for me. So I'm only going on highlights. But um, the one thing that really is a standout for me is just the sheer amount of small ball that is going on. Uh, the Nationals won the game last night and they hit 13 singles to win that game. It is just a huge amount of battle ball and see what happens. And I think we're going to be 30th for home runs. I think we're going to be 30th for triples. And uh, I don't think we're going to end up in 30th overall in MLB going on the sample size so far, which is nuts. I'm feeling incredibly positive. Wow. Well, I mean, you said that the Nats might finish in 30th in home runs. Look out for the Cleveland Guardians, because uh, we are currently 30th in home runs, I believe, or tied for last. We have five home runs in 11 games. That's pretty lo- small, but we are seven and four. Um, and uh, honestly, the uh, this is it's been a pretty good start. I would say, you know, we won the division last year. The hopes were that we were going to win the division again this year. We know the Twins and White Sox are going to be decent or good, and um, so far so good. I, I think that. The one thing I'll say is that the power is like I alluded to with the home runs is, is really lacking right now. Um, you know, it, we signed Josh Bell in the off season and he is not really, he's really struggling uh, out of the gate, uh, which is something I'm told he does. So not, I'm not at all panicked. Um, but uh, Jose Ramirez is playing great. Uh, just not hitting for power uh, or not hitting the ball over the fence. Um, I will say so that that's not concerning either, but, you know, that'll, that'll eventually lock into place. So once those, once those things get going, we'll see what this offense looks like so far. They're winning a lot of one run games. Like I said, they've been in extra innings. 
four times in 11 games, uh, which is way too many. <clears throat> and uh, two of our starting pitchers are hurt. Uh, you know, uh, Tristan McKenzie and Aaron Savali are both on the, the IL. And uh, so things could go di- dicey pretty quickly in Cleveland. But um, right now, so far, I think it's been a fun week and a half. And people are they're picking up right where they left off. The Guardians are a very annoying team to play against. Um, you just if you look at the other fan bases, um, you know, the Mar- I think one of the Mariners fans called us a terrorist uh, baseball team um, because of how we, you know, there's a lot of a, lot of, a couple bloops and no blast, but, uh, you know, making the other team make mistakes and putting pressure on um, just taking the extra base here and there, which is a fun brand of baseball to watch when it's your team, uh, but it can be pretty annoying when it's not. Um, any other hot well, takes from the group? Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you'll be happy to know that Francisco Lindor has all one home run so far this year. So you did not, uh, you did not outsource your, your, your power to the Mets. I feel like that trade looks good for both teams. And um, we love Andres Jimenez so much in Cleveland. And, um, you know, we signed him. He has a $100 million contract to stay in Cleveland for the next seven years. So um, he has a home run as well. He's one of our five. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a fine trade. I mean, Carrasco has not really been very good for the Mets. So I don't know how you judge that. Uh, but Lindor has not been what we hoped he would be for sure. But man, his defense is beautiful. I love watching him play. And he had some he had some big hits next year. And I think his story with the Mets is far from from over. So still more time to judge that one. Yeah, he's still super. I mean, he's so, he's so young still. He's only like what thirty, something like that. I think. Yeah. I think not even. Yeah. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But um, so anyway, yeah, no, I, I think the Mets definitely have a good player on there. <laughs> in Francisco Lindor. Um, but any other hot takes on the, the the short season so far, the young season? If not, let's take a quick word from our sponsor, and uh, we'll we'll get right back into around the horn here. This episode of Battery Mates is brought to you by. Fresh Step, the official cat litter of Major League Baseball. Whether you're keeping feral cats at bay in Oakland or whether you're producing realistic ground groundskeeper sounds for MLB.tv commercial breaks, choose the brand trusted by Major League Baseball and used in schoolrooms across the country. Fresh Step, bust that slump, scoop those clumps. Great stuff. I certainly am smelling good uh, right now with my uh, free bags uh, that my cat is using my cat uh, does absolutely horrendous shits i've got to say um so i'm especially grateful for the free stuff but the the money this month let me say it's gonna get me over to belfast to see joe biden on on uh, uh, thursday so <clears throat> great great stuff um should we keep going was that part yeah. of the ad yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is that is part of the ad. That's uh, great. <laughs> yeah, no, um, we we uh, nobody told me the money was going to be put into the the box of kitty litter. I just dumped it out <laughs> into the box, and there's cash everywhere. A lot of coins, too many coins. Um, yeah, uh, Andrew Andrew Jackson is incredibly odor uh, squashing. Yeah, he really. <laughs> Andrew Jackson specifically. I don't know why that is, um, but we've got to keep going. I, I want to talk about uh, the minor league. I want to talk about minor league baseball. Um, the incredible, incredible no hitter that the uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas, who in a very, very fierce field, have one of the best names in minor league baseball. Uh, they no hit Chattanooga uh, this week. Uh, Toby, you want to talk us through it? 
Well, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think it's just, it's, it, you know, it happens all the time, a no hitter in minor league baseball. And uh, that's the end of the story. I'm pretty sure. Right. That was the, that was the <laughs> trash pandas um, with a no hitter. Uh, congratulations to the rocket city trash pandas. No, uh, honestly, I don't know where rocket city is, but wherever it is, they, um, uh, this is pretty bad. <laughs> they gave up seven runs in the seventh inning without giving up a hit. Uh, the order of operations goes something. I think, yeah, they started off with two walks and then a strikeout, right? A third walk loads the bases, then a fly out. So the bases are loaded. Nobody scored two outs. So far, so good. Yeah, I mean, this is this is manageable. And the team is up 3 nothing at this point. So, okay, the pitcher walks in a run. No big deal. Three to one, still two outs. Fly ball to the right field. And um, the right fielder kind of takes an odd route to the ball. But camps under it at the end, and if you haven't seen the replay, it's worth watching because he just misses it. He just misses the fly ball and all two outs, so all three runs score. The other, you know, the Chattanooga takes the lead. It's now four to three, and I think just the the, the pitching staff. I believe they changed pitchers at this point, and the guy who came in just uh, uh, didn't have it, <laughs> uh, as evidenced by three consecutive hit by pitches. Oh, uh, which did you know the last one scored another run, made it five four walk. Brings in the, the the sixth run, uh, and then a wild pitch brings in that seventh run. But don't don't worry. There was another hit by pitch before the last <laughs> strikeout to get out of the inning. Um, it's a it's that's quite remarkable. Four uh, hit by pitches, uh, five walks, and um, uh, yeah, seven runs allowed without a hit. Uh, and to go to go the next two innings without giving up a hit uh, in that after that having taken place. I at this point just server went up, you know, because you're. To lose with that that box score uh, is just it's somewhat more it's mortifying. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> a, a, a no no is a no no, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, no, you you sound like you watch a lot of uh, minor league baseball. You seen anything like this? Uh, no, I've never seen anything like this. I think I think the timing <laughs> is interesting. You know, this the minor leagues have been in the news so much lately. First, there's the historic agreement uh, to the labor agreement to to raise their pay, give them a living wage, and then you know a week later they go out and show you just how hard <laughs> they work, just how hard they work to get three outs. <laughs> Superb stuff. I I just. I, I, this is the thing I love about box scores. You know, not growing up with baseball, um, lots of these things are so magical. I, I feel like a kid sometimes looking at this stuff, even though I'm 43 years old. Looking at a box score like this, I, I only watched the highlights today. I've been fascinated with this game for several days, and it only occurred to me to watch, to actually watch the highlights today. I've just been digging into the minutiae of the box score for the last couple of days and just, like, obsessed with the how on earth do you score seven runs with with no hits and I, I just it's a great it's a great game it's a great it game. is a very special feeling to look at a box score and do a double take you know this is not <laughs> it happens every now and then when you see something and you're like that can't be right and you have to look again to see how did that happen uh it happens yeah. about once a year and it's always fun the the outfield era the outfield era though if you if anyone listening has not has not gone and seen the highlights i i really you know go and look it, it's a it's a doozy that is a real it's a yeah it's bad it's kind of remarkable that the benches didn't clear after the second or third or fourth hit by pitch it's pretty remarkable everybody kept their kept their head not in the actual playing sense but the that's superstition 
you never uh you never start a brawl after the third hit by pitch when the guy's throwing a no hitter everybody knows that (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great so before we before we uh wrap up i want to do one last uh around the horn here about uh baseball movies Noah, you are a you know you're uh, a film critic you're also allegedly and I, I i you can talk more about your the book you're writing uh, uh writing a book about baseball movies uh which it seems like we should talk about that because you wrote a piece for the guardian about the disappearing baseball movie you know, this is something that is, at least when i was growing up there seemed like there was at least one every year um and uh obviously some of my favorite movies are baseball movies because i'm such a big baseball fan but and and battery mates listeners will remember that we did a whole segment we have a running segment that it's been a couple of years since we've had a had a uh uh, uh an edition of, of of this an installation of this segment but the battery mates for the movies it's one of our favorite things to do uh to talk about baseball movies mostly because we can get matthew to watch some of these movies for the very first time with fresh eyes and and do a a, a take on um you know uh what <laughs> something that is very near and dear to our hearts uh on some of these films but yeah you want to just like talk about the the uh, you know sports movies in general uh being still a thing but baseball movies for some reason are no longer and and why do you think that is yeah it's interesting you know in, in researching this book i realized there hasn't been a baseball movie to be distributed by a major studio since 2016 which was everybody wants some and that wasn't even made by a major studio it was actually independently made and then distributed by universal it did not have a very wide release but i, I count it Uh, And that's the longest period of time without a major baseball film since 1973, since Bang the Drum Slowly, which which tells you something. It tells you something about the state of Hollywood, I think, which is that they they traditionally now are only investing in very safe properties and franchisable things and intellectual property. And... The baseball film, for most of Hollywood history, has not been considered a bankable genre. Uh, there have been periods in which it was, when there was a big hit, and then 10 years of copycats. It happened after Pride of the Yankees, and it happened after The Natural. But in between and after, it has basically been considered box office poison. And part of that, I would say a big part of it, is that these movies have traditionally not traveled well. Baseball films don't make a lot of money internationally. The two that have are Field of Dreams and Moneyball. And I would argue that's because of Kevin Costner and Brad Pitt more than anything, probably. Um, But even those didn't do as well as like a Marvel movie would do internationally. Uh, So that's been always the holdup. My hope, my contention is that maybe something like the World Baseball Classic could change that. That we're generating interest for baseball in lots of countries where traditionally there hasn't been a lot of interest and maybe uh, Hollywood executives will be looking at that and say, Hey, maybe a baseball movie could do well in England, could do well in Australia, could do well in the Czech Republic. They should be doing well in Japan, China already. Uh, I don't know if they would, but hopefully some enterprising young exec who wants to make a name for him or herself will, will seize that opportunity and we'll get some good baseball movies again. We happen to know a, a screenwriter who, uh, as a, you know, one of our regular, who's our, our co-host for Battery Mates the Movies, uh, Kate's name in London. Maybe she would be uh, interested in, in uh, pulling this together. Um, you said, you mentioned, um, what's the, so the book you're writing, what's the, what is it about and other than yeah. baseball movies in general, but. Sure. So basically I wanted to write a book and I thought, what do I want to live with for a year while I write this book? <laughs> I mean, cause I'm a film critic. I love baseball, but it could be about any movie topic. 
but baseball movies are my comfort food. You know, they're that's the genre I go to when I want to feel good. And uh, I realized that I didn't just want to do an encyclopedia of the genre. What I wanted to do is kind of tie together uh, culture, politics, baseball, movies. And the way the epiphany I had was was sort of that uh, base, the baseball movie is the collision of two national pastimes in America, uh, baseball and the movies. And they, they sort of have existed on parallel tracks for quite a while. They became popular sort of around the same time. And um, they've had some of the same controversies and, and problems over the years. But that these movies very often are not just about baseball. They're often about America itself. They're symbols of, of America. Um, Pride of the Yankees was very much a metaphor for the loss of life in World War II, for example. And, and mm. there were a few others similar to that. And uh, I thought it'd be interesting to write about these films, starting with Pride of the Yankees, looking at it through that lens, looking at it through what is this telling us about what was going on in America at the time, and that the baseball film is sort of uniquely positioned to do that. Having said that, this is not an academic text. Like this is this mm-hmm. book is definitely going to be imbued with a great love of these movies and a lot of fun trivia and just sort of geeking out over how great baseball movies are. <laughs> no pitch clock, Ben. Uh... <laughs> oh, the pitch clock is mentioned. Don't get me wrong. Okay. <laughs> I, it is mentioned in the, I believe in the uh, epilogue at this point. Okay. But, but I'll tell you why it's mentioned. Because a lot of these movies would not be possible with the pitch clock. I counted the seconds, for example, between Billy Chappell's second to last pitch and his last pitch in For Love of the Game. And it's 65 <laughs> seconds. And that's enough time for him to look around the stadium, soak up uh, the moment. It's time for Vince Scully to wax poetic about uh, about his, his career in this moment. And yes, the director film can stretch out a moment longer uh, than it exists in real life. But so many moments from baseball films in between pitches take longer than 15 or 20 seconds to do. And if these films were being made today, we would not have those (laughs) moments. So that's another reason the pitch clock needs to go. It would really spoil the ambiance if uh, Robert Redford was called out on on a pitch clock (laughs) violation. (laughs) Quite a melodramatic way to end the the film. Yeah, they don't say the pitch clock rules. I don't know if you know you have to be attentive to the pitcher, but can you can you call your shot uh, while you're attentive to the pitcher? I, that would disrupt major league for sure. Um, it would disrupt major league. The scenes of of Crash and Nuke Lelouch kind of going at each other in Bull Durham that wouldn't be possible. Right. All the shaking off. There's stuff in a league of their own that wouldn't be able to happen with a pitch clock. I mean, I'm telling you, every one of these movies because they build the drama out of these moments. Sure. They extend them. They luxuriate in them. You can't do that with a pitch clock. And that's part of the reason I don't like the pitch clock in real life either, because you can't you can't build that drama. So what you're saying is Rob Manfred hates baseball movies. Almost as much as he hates baseball, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be it'll be a tell if they just like the uh, the Manfred man, um, the the, the ghost runner, the so-called ghost runner. Uh, the extra innings when they don't use that in the playoffs because they know it's it's not real baseball. It'd be a tell if they get rid of the pitch clock or if they revise it for the playoffs. I think that's a that's all you need to know. I'm fascinated to see that. It's going to be really interesting. They almost have to at some point. Like they can't have 15 seconds or 20 seconds between pitches runners on in the ninth inning of Game Seven of the World Series. That just cannot be. I and can't you can't know. increase the odds that the, that the game will end on a pitch clock violation or that it will happen in a key moment. You can't have <laughs> that happen in the playoffs. You really can't. You know, that would be. Uh, oh, 
but yeah, if it happens, uh, you'll <laughs> we'll have you back here uh, to talk about for it for my uh, victory lap. <laughs> before, <laughs> before we go, uh, Matthew, you want to go through our, our each of us to put our top three baseball movies out there on the record. I do, but you you put us on the spot. I think I I feel like Noah should go first on that one. <laughs> I you definitely could do that. You got a top okay. three? Can you, uh, sure. can you whittle it down? Yeah, my my top three is is pretty basic, so I'm going to throw a curveball for number three. But I do think a League of Their Own and Bull Durham are one and two. I think they they are the best films in part because their their characters and their stories are so compelling. They almost don't have to. They don't have to be set in the world of baseball to still be interesting. And yet the baseball is so good in them, uh, the the color and even the baseball action in those films, I find to be incredibly realistic, um, a league of their own as well as Bull Durham. So I think those are the best. Um, I'm going to, I don't know if this is actually my number three, but I want to talk about it because I take every opportunity to talk about it, which is, I think little big league is a very underrated baseball movie uh, it is a movie, uh, Matthew, you look like you don't know what it is. So I'm going to tell you, it's about a child who becomes the manager of the Minnesota twins. And <laughs> it's, I know it sounds ridiculous and in a lot of ways it is, but the filmmakers do a very smart thing, which is they ground the movie in very realistic baseball action and very realistic baseball thinking. I talked to some of the early sabermetricians uh, for my book about this movie and they all say that the baseball thinking on display in that movie is the best they have ever seen put on film. It's like Moneyball before Moneyball. This was 1994. And this 12 year old kid is like he's using sabermetrics principles to make his decisions. So I think it's actually a super smart movie just with this sort of outlandish uh, uh, thing on top of it of the kid being the manager. I definitely saw that when it came out, but not since. And that speaking of like movies just being a re repeat of something else, was that before or after Rookie of the Year? It was a year after, I believe. Okay. And it sort of got swallowed up by it because Rookie of the Year was a big hit. I think it's a far inferior movie, but it was a, sure. it was a big hit. And then Little Big League came, interestingly enough, it was right at the tail end of this kids baseball movie boom and right when the strike was about to happen. So there was a lot of uh, negativity around baseball at that moment. And I think that's part of the reason it didn't do very well in theaters. Well, uh, there's there's jokes I could make about children running the Minnesota Twins teams uh, of recent years, but I won't do that. Um, <laughs> and a fun note, the, the, the Guardians are coming to Chicago um, to play the Cubs at Wrigley Field uh, in July, I believe. And I just found out one of the days, the giveaway is a 30th anniversary of uh, rookie of the year uh bobblehead right. <laughs> so they're giving away a bobblehead yeah they're giving away a bobblehead uh makes makes me feel extremely old um but uh <laughs> i i will probably be going to that game and bringing my five-year-old daughter oh. to that one so wait till i tell you how old major league is then you're gonna feel real <laughs> no i know how old major league is. we had yeah we had that anniversary uh too many years ago um uh speaking of i i would ha i have to a major league uh in my top three i think a league of their own is probably my favorite uh at least tied with major league and then but it's either bull durham or eight men out i'm a big eight men out fan um but bull, bull durham's so damn good uh so funny uh, i think that's probably the reason i like it so much matthew yeah <laughs> I, I feel like i'm gonna be labeled as very basic by saying this but moneyball is my number three um I, I, all of this is new to me and and moneyball was so accessible and so um yeah i just i loved it uh, and I, I would say i i 
I set this as my three favorite rather than the three best. So I just want to uh, add that caveat in. Uh, I've got number two as Sugar, uh, which is a, a movie about a minor league player coming up. And uh, I, I, I watched that when it was in the movies, uh, in the theaters, um, uh, when it first came out, when I first moved to America. And I learned so much about baseball from that movie that I didn't know not growing up in it uh but also about the the minor leagues and um it's just a phenomenal uh movie whether you like baseball or not i think and then league of league of their own is is my number one sugar is an excellent movie and people should definitely check that out if they haven't seen it and and i i I partly mentioned sugar just to balance out the very very basicness of (laughs) including moneyball Oh, so I, Pitt- I, I, I can be indie as well. <laughs> Wes Anderson needs to make a baseball movie. Everybody knows it. And that's what, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what I know. Uh, my, the Venn diagram of things I'm interested in will be c- complete. Uh, so, um, uh, all right. Uh, we should wrap it there. Let's leave it there and come back once the pitch clock has ruined um, <laughs> a, a playoff series. Uh, no, this was so great. Uh, thank you for giving us so much of your time. Um, I, I appreciate it. Good luck to your, your Mets this season. Good luck to the chairs in your house. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we'll say hi, you say hi to, to James, to David, um, to our friends, uh, Peter Bondi. Um, good you know, people. We, yeah, they're good people. And, mm-hmm. uh, thanks to James Lynch again for making this happen, bringing us together. Um, one reason I liked major league so much, Matthew is, uh, because they do show a lot of the warmups. They show a lot of the players taking ground balls. And I know your favorite is, uh, well, you can tell. Let, let you, well, I'll let you tell. It's one of the things I loved so much about uh, baseball coming to it um, was to learn uh, more deeply than I'd ever been able to pick up before uh, uh, growing up in England, um, shagging those balls. Those balls.